Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Greetings. Psalm 72, verses 1 through 19 say, Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and will will break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear you as long as the sun and the moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing, like showers that water the earth. In his days the righteous shall flourish in abundance of peace until the moon is no more. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. For he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and needy, and will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. And he shall live, and the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayer also will be made for him continually, and daily he shall be prayed. There will be an abundance of grain in the earth, on the top of the mountains, its fruit shall wave like Lebanon, and those of the city shall flourish like the grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Let's pray. God, please be with us this day as we come to worship you. We can do nothing good without you who strengthen and sanctify us. We come to worship you now, confessing, being forgiven, being consecrated to you once again, joyfully because you are pleased to meet with us again here on the Lord's Day. Amen. 
Today, uh, my sermon isn't really, there isn't really a text because I'm going to kind of be working through Hebrews 1 and 2, and Andy read 2 for us, and I'm going to try to talk about 1 a lot, so you can be seated. I w- <clears throat> the book of Hebrews starts out in the first couple of chapters talking about the supremacy of Jesus over all of creation. It goes on to describe that in great detail and talks about why he took on flesh in order to die for us. And in so doing, he became our high priest. It brags about his victory in the present tense over the rulers and authorities, namely Satan. And then shows Jesus in our midst being happy to call us his children and brothers and sisters. Which makes me want to cry already. These are the chapter happy tears. These are the chapters I want to spend my sermon talking about today. Hebrews starts out saying how in times past God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. In a number of different ways, God spoke to humanity from the time of Adam to the advent of Christ. And all these ways were pointing to a time when Jesus would come and he would be, in a sense, God's last word. Although we have our own story, which we are living in, where we're expected to be representatives of Jesus, we are no longer a people who look forward to the day when Christ will come to fulfill God's redemptive promises. Although we look forward to a time when time itself will end and we will finally be glorified and all creation will be made new, nevertheless, with the exception of that eventuality, we have experienced the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. Hebrews also has something to say about what they referred to as the last days or the last times. Hebrews says, here in these last times, God has spoken to us by his son. Last times. So what do we think of when we hear the word last times? Do we think of Jesus returning and the space-time continuum ending? The rapture with everyone passing into heaven and being caught up in the clouds to meet with God? Do we believe that the writer of Hebrews is speaking to us and only us directly, bypassing the people who were the first to read those words over 2,000 years ago, or around 2,000? Might he have been speaking to the folks back then, which also speaks to us, but them primarily? Many scholars would date the book of Hebrews to about 63 to 65 AD, which means that Five to seven years later, the Romans would invade Jerusalem and the temple would be no more. And with the destruction of the temple, temple worship, as outlined in the Old Covenant, would cease to exist in any recognizable form. And I would argue, along with others, that what was being spoken of as the last days was in fact the last days of the Old Covenant, which was passing away. A transition to the new covenant being ushered in irrefutably by the destruction of the temple and the sacrificial system whereby God was worshipped. And in turn ushering in 
and ushering in of the new covenant where Jesus would be the lamb provided once and for all to to both end sacrifices and to bridge the divide between God and man eternally. Jesus being the true peace offering where God's wrath could be assuaged, God's justice could be fulfilled, and God's grace could be applied to us, his children. And that is why each Lord's Day we hold up bread and wine, we give thanks to God, and we call upon him to remember Jesus' sacrifice for us. And in so doing, we feast together at peace with each other and with God himself. Here in these last, in these new last times. Now, Hebrews starts talking about the greatness of our Lord Jesus after this. How Jesus is the heir of all things, the brightness of the glory of God, the express image of God's person, how he upholds all things by the word of his power, and how he has sat down at the right hand of God the Father to rule and uphold all the creation which he spoke into being. Jesus is ruling right now since his resurrection. Jesus, the eternal and living word. So the next time you give your word or say, mark my word or exclaim my word or ask someone to take your word for it, think of Jesus. The world turns on his words, which are true and trustworthy and will come to pass. And we, like little image bearers, keep up that pattern by doing our best to uphold our few pages of the story by our words and hoping we can trust the words of others. In fact, when we trust others, if we have any peace at all about doing so, it's because our trust is hidden in Christ, believing that he intends to hold together this entire circus of life for those who are faithful to him. Reading from Hebrews 1. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Hebrews takes great pains to let us know that Jesus has inherited through the resurrection and ascension a name which is greater and above all names, greater than you and I, greater than the angels, the angels who are ministers, winds, and servants. They are mighty and powerful. They are servants of God and of you and I. But the Son, Jesus, God has finally revealed is the fullness of God here on earth. He loved righteousness. He hated wickedness. He's holding a scepter of uprightness and being anointed with the oil of gladness beyond all others. The author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus, higher than all names, crowned with glory, joyous and exuberant, has been invited to sit at the right hand of God the Father until all of his enemies are become his footstool. Paraphrasing from Hebrews 2, the Bible says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 
The writer of Hebrews pauses here from talking about Jesus and the greatness of Jesus, his superiority over the angels and over all of creation, as if in need to ground his audience a bit. There is a kind of a radical right turn here in the book. It's like the author of Hebrews is reminding us that he isn't just here to talk about the celestial hierarchies, but also to show how Jesus has come at the transition from something old to something new and to illustrate some of what that means. We're told that we must pay much closer attention to what we have learned lest we drift away from it. What does this mean? This this sort of strikes me like we're supposed to pay attention to all of the Bible, but, but the Bible here says pay much closer attention lest you drift away. <clears throat> Why much? Why much closer attention? I believe it's because our God has been revealed and now we living in the new covenant see more clearly and plainly than did the members of the old. Even they who saw through a glass, through a glass dimly, not yet seeing Christ manifest, were expected to obey and to listen, to pay attention. And now we have the King of Kings sitting at the right hand of God as our covenantal husband. We're exhorted in a kind of a scary way here with words like, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We're being asked to pay attention to what we have heard. That's the final word, that Jesus is King, that we're his people, that he loves and rejoices over us in his sanctifying us, in his reigning. And what flows from this is worship and adoration. How? How do we love and how do we worship? We love, our na- love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Ask for forgiveness from God, and if you need to, from your brothers and sisters. Lay your life down. Resist sin. Love righteousness. If you want to see Jesus clearer, make it known by how you spend your time and what you fill your mind with and your priorities. For example, and this is not a new or novel thing, it's just something that maybe we forget from time to time. I know I do. We need to spend time in the morning, after work, and before bed in the Word for at least a little while. Also also read theology and pray. And when you have the time and the opportunity, use some of your time to reach out to someone that you can minister to. Some way to show Jesus your devotion. I'm reminded of this summer in the Word. uh, Actually, I don't know what it's called. I don't think that's what it's called. But reading program that Doug Wilson and Canon Press and that my wife's been sort of talking about and I'm trying to keep up with. They put together for their church in Idaho and for anyone who wants to join in. It's just a simple plan that allows a bunch of people to read through Scripture together. Nothing too fancy, nothing too overwrought. In fact, I believe it's meant to be deliberately casual because, try as we might, the best way for most of us to read the Bible is cumulative and more about the frequency of times we have read it than the quality of those times, the supposed quality of those times. As in, we should be sticking the Bible in our laundry rooms for the occasional 60-second reading when we can, 
because the Bible is a foreign book to us who are being made into the image of the author. Now, it's more familiar to us than some, but I'm reminded of uh, there's an Episcopalian minister named Robert Farrar Capon, and I couldn't find the quote, but it was something like, he's an Episcopalian minister, he said something like, the Bible is a strange book. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense the first five or six times through or so. And so he's, he's pointing out like, you know, this is a guy who, this is his life, like Pastor Mark. And he's saying like, it is, the first few times you read it, it's like, there's long sentences and it's strange and hard to grasp in some places. And it's, but it's also obviously really inspiring and we have the Spirit of God and he does help us to understand and to get what we need out of it. So I'm not saying that, but I am saying read cumulatively. Expect that you're going to be reading the Bible your whole life. And I just thought that that, uh, the thing that they threw together, the reading club, sort of really exemplified that. And this is how we make Jesus to rejoice over us and how we exhibit that we are paying attention that our attention and our conscious minds are directed towards him whenever they can be. And I think that this has got to make our Lord happy. It's got to put a smile on Jesus' face, I think. <clears throat> and as you do this more and more, it will spin out into everything. If you're at work, work heartily as to the Lord and not men. If you're driving to work, love God with all your mind. What are some good ways you can do that while driving? Are you at home with the kids? Remember their frames. Pray with them. Try and share your love and faith with them. <clears throat> In the Old Testament, they were given feast days, fast days, ceremonies, and many different smells and bells as ways to remember and to pay close attention to their God and to remember his goodness. <clears throat> Pastor Mark reminded us last week, I think, of the Feast of Purim, wherein, and I, I looked up a little bit about this to see sort of how it has been and how it is celebrated. It's one of these remembering things. Wherein God's people are commanded to not forget by an embodied remembering of the great saving of God's people through the faithfulness of Esther and Mordecai that we read in the book of Esther. It kind of makes me want to celebrate the feast myself. People, and this is what they do, today at least, I'm sure it's been celebrated differently. I don't, that I know of, I don't think there were any sort of scriptural injunctions, but this is how the people of God have decided to remember this particular event uh, as a part of like remembering with your life. So people to gather together for a lively reading of the entire book of Esther to the sounds of cheering when the heroes of God's story are spoken of and are prospering. So this is a not really like a call and response, but someone reads the whole book and the audience is like wrapped and kids are cheering and it's like, you know, you're watching well, it's much different, but it's like, you know, a Marvel movie or something where you're cheering for someone. It's like thinking about doing that with the Bible. Like these are characters that really lived and <laughs> you know, are really worth being excited about. Um, 
And in accordance with Exodus 17, where God says that the memory of Amalek should be blotted out, the bad guys of the story are booed when their names come up and when they seem to be prospering. So, so I know sometimes we're a little... and it, For me, there's a distinction between our gods and... Or, our enemies and God's enemies. And sometimes our enemies are not God's enemies. Sometimes they'll be saved or repent, right? And so we have to be careful. We, we don't want to necessarily boo our enemies. Like the Bible says plenty about that. But God's enemies are always our enemies. So I don't think we have to be particularly careful about, you know, booing them or, or, or wishing them wishing that the mountains will fall on them and that their feet will slip and their plans won't prosper and on all this it's like they're the enemies of god it's okay so you know the bad guys of the story are, are being booed when when they seem to be prospering so it's just like interactive story um <clears throat> and it's a day of joy this is the you know the feast of purim still a day of joy and exuberance before the Lord with feasting and singing and enjoying the body of Christ. And this is a very bodily way of remembering what God did in the book of Esther. This and more are the kinds of things that the book of Hebrews is saying that we should employ in order to pay attention to this new and absolutely extravagant salvation that we get to be a part of in the new covenant. These are just simple little things, but all these things are paying attention, remembering this faith, and keeping us from drifting away into covenantal punishments, sanctions for unbelief and for drifting away. What kind of sanctions? I'm not sure. I didn't really look this up. And I probably don't want to know. But some of the stuff we read about elsewhere in the New Testament probably. So let's steer clear. Let's love God with our mind and our strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. And we won't have to find out. We remember so that we don't forget. Hebrews 2, 7 through 9, moving on a little bit, says, You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. And I pause there because it, at the word him, because I think that it's like that struck me when I first read this. The Hebrews is saying, you know, he's been crowned. Everything's under his feet. Nothing is outside of his control. But we don't see everything in subjection to him. And then the Bible like says, but we that that but we see him like we see the risen Christ with the eyes of faith. He's overcome death. Like I wish there was kind of a period there. There's not. But I think that that is to be emphasized. Not just we see him for who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. But we see him, like Christ himself. I don't know. That just is emboldening for me. It's like we see our, the captain of our faith. 
<clears throat> so if Jesus is powerful over all and God has enthroned him at his own right hand, why do we not yet see all his enemies put under his feet? We see some ground taken, some ground lost by our own estimation. Sometimes it can feel like the lion really isn't on the move. We can forget or get confused by the news of the day or by our own hearts, the sin we see lurking inside our hearts or the hearts of loved ones can be a potent reminder that all is not yet well. That indeed, not all enemies are conquered and put under Christ's feet. But the Bible says that we do see him, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, more powerful than the angels, heir of all things, captain of our salvation, sitting at the right hand of God. He has not yet put all his enemies under his feet. But what he has done is established his church, which cannot be overcome, and is conquering from pole to pole that wars may cease and all be prayer and praise. Which is why we read just a verse or two later that Jesus was bringing many sons to glory and that he isn't ashamed to call them brothers and sisters and children. Hebrews just states that Jesus has triumphed over all the powers and principalities, present tense, that he is announced as the Lord of all, that we're really just spreading the news. It's, it, we're not trying to convince people that he's the Lord. He just is. The sun's going to rise tomorrow, and Jesus is Lord. <clears throat> the battle is won for anyone with the eyes of faith. Jesus did it all. We have a cloud of witnesses, as Hebrews says in chapter 12, where it says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. And this is encouraging to me, because if you read that chapter, there's so many stories of faithful men, I think some women too, who... Some of them lived and escaped the mouths of lions. Some of them died and were tortured, but they were faithful. And the Bible says that they are this cloud of witnesses. And clearly it's saying like, you know, take heart, I think. But more importantly, we have Jesus himself. He lived, he suffered, he loved, he laughed, he overcame temptation he died, was resurrected, and he ascended. He sits at the right hand of God, enthroned and is sanctifying all who he calls children and conquering all his enemies through them, his church, and through the Spirit. This is what we see through the Word and through faith. It is difficult. We get distracted by life and by the news and by all the shiny things in our world. But this is our call to remember. Pay attention. Don't fall away. Jesus has conquered, and we are seeing and being a part of the mop-up operation. Jesus is crowned with glory and honor, overcoming death, loving righteousness. And we get to be counted in his band because he is making us to be more like him by faith. Hebrews 2, 10 and 11 says, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. 
For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, and that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Here Christ specifically identifies who who he is calling children, brothers, sisters. It is those who he is sanctifying, that us, those whom Christ has chosen and are being sanctified day by day. That's us. That's who he's talking about. This is not something that we can do willingly. It is not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of thing. Jesus is the captain of our salvation. He grants us faith. He is enthroned. He asks us, he asks us to consecrate ourselves the way that he was consecrated by suffering and to not lose hope as he works. Jesus is our bridge to the Trinity to peace and unity with the Father and with each other through our sanctification, which God accomplishes within those whom he loves. We are being made holy by our big brother, Jesus. This perhaps more than anything is what makes me convinced that life should be more and more like a chorus of praise, hands raised to heaven, wherever we find ourselves. Whether we're out in a field cutting grass, in a grocery store, wherever we are, we should find ourselves being struck with God's goodness, presence, and holiness, and being inspired more and more toward a solid joy and imitation of Jesus himself. In Zephaniah 3.17, the Bible says, The Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save. Sorry. (laughs) He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. (laughs) And he will exalt over you with loud singing. It's beautiful to me that this is what the Bible says. Jesus does over those who he loves and who he's saving. (coughs) I didn't cry when I was reading this to myself in my room. (laughs) So I didn't know this was going to happen. So what can we say? Christ has died. Christ has risen and ascended, and Christ will come again. He took on flesh. He lived. He fought for righteousness. He despised evil. He saw through the veil of human deception, wherever it was. He saw it and spoke truth to the lie. He prophesied. He was tempted. He overcame that temptation. And then in the fullness of God's timing, he went to the cross, despising the shame, but looking forward to being united with his bride and with God, making her spotless and drawing all men unto himself. The crucified Christ marrying the justice and mercy of God perfectly for all to see throughout all time. Having done all this, he died there on the cross. And in so doing, he broke the power of the devil, disarming the rulers and the authorities, putting them to open shame by triumphing over them. 
disarming the rulers and or I'm reading again. He rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father to be the captain of our faith, our older brother, our savior, our leader of the mop-up operation, to put all his enemies under his feet. And he will come again in glory and power to invite all of us into the new heavens and the new earth where we will dwell with glorified bodies together. All of creation and all of God's people having overcome the flesh and the devil, and we will get to enjoy and glorify, we will get to glorify God and enjoy Him forever then. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for speaking to us, for loving us, for allowing us to come and worship you. We'll continue to worship you in the raising of bread and wine, that you will remember the sacrifice of your Son that brings peace between us, between us, between man and man, and between man and God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.